Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackerson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackerson Podcast. Today, a landmark military case where an officer has won his fight not to be discharged for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. The board deciding the case found there is no FDA-approved vaccine available. That's fascinating in of itself. And that even if there were, there's no proof that it's needed as a reasonable and necessary action. For a lot of people, COVID is not really foremost on their minds anymore. Well, at least not getting sick with COVID, but the repercussions of the mandates are still being felt by a lot of people who are still losing their jobs for not getting vaccinated with vaccines that have proven ineffective at preventing infection, transmission, and even illness. And despite what you may have heard, they were originally touted as something that would prevent all of those things, not just supposedly lessen infection. The story changed over time as it turned out they were not effective at what they were supposed to do. But nobody has felt the wrath more than hundreds of thousands in the military who originally said they objected to getting vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccines, either because they'd already had COVID or they had health concerns about the side effects of the vaccines or they had religious objections or all of the above. And now today, thousands of military troops have been discharged for not getting vaccinated. All of them, as far as I know, or almost all of them, have lost their battle to get exceptions except for a handful who were already about to depart from their service anyway. Well, amid this sea of losses for that side of the fight, there is a notable and important victory. Lieutenant Bill Mosley, a Navy officer, recently won his case. He does not have to get vaccinated, and he gets to keep his military position. It's a fascinating story we're going to explore today. I want to mention here that propagandists often falsely portray stories and information like this as anti-vaccine. If you're listening, you probably know better. In fact, Lieutenant Mosley and his attorney, who also served in the military, have received many vaccinations previously without objection. And as for the other side of the story, in support of vaccine mandates, well, you can find that almost anywhere because in this managed media environment, that's primarily the story that gets told. So I encourage you to research it read up, and you can always consult cdc.gov for the government's position on this. But in the case at hand, it is, according to Mosley's attorney, the first time that a Navy board has been presented with facts like federal statutes, information from CDC and FDA, and the manufacturers of the vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, and they concluded that Mosley was right, that there is no FDA-approved COVID vaccine currently available and no proof that even if there was one, that it is a reasonable and necessary action to require the troops to take this vaccine. So here is David Younce, military defense attorney for Lieutenant Bill Mosley. Can you tell me how this client came to your attention, Lieutenant Bill Mosley? A couple of different ways. I got started in this work, specifically on the vaccine work, because of my other representation of military members. I mean, I was re- representing a group of Navy SEALs on the East Coast re- with regard to the vaccine mandate. Because of that work, um, Lieutenant Mosley and I started talking. Um, he has worked with SEALs, deployed with SEALs um, numerous times throughout his career. So that's how we were connected. And before this particular case, 
what has been the pattern for people in the military who are challenging the mandatory COVID-19 vaccine? Up until this case, um, the, the findings from the boards were two parts. One, they were finding that it was a violation of a lawful order, that it was misconduct to refuse the vaccine. And the individuals that had challenged it in other boards were separated from the military. So kicked out. And can you explain what these boards are and how they end up providing this advice or consult? Absolutely. So in the military, uh, in the Navy in particular, if you served for more than six years, you're entitled to what they call an administrative separation board. Um, And what that is, is three um, senior Navy personnel sit on a board. Um, They act and function like a jury, with the exception of the fact that they really run the show. So they get to ask questions. Um, They get to make the decisions, they evaluate all of the evidence. So it looks and feels like a court martial in some respects, but it is administrative, but that's a due process entitlement that any military member has um, in the Navy if you serve for more than six years. That's what that board looks like. Now there is uh, government representatives, in this case for Lieutenant Mosley, there were two prosecutors in a board, they call them a recorder for the government. And then there is a Navy legal advisor answering the board's legal questions. But unlike a court-martial, traditionally, there's no judge sitting in the room. So these senior officers um, really run the show. So building up to these cases, a mandate was required in the military. And those who didn't get it or applied for an exemption and were refused, at some point then were called in by a superior and told, you're being discharged, or how did that work? Absolutely. Uh, Pretty similar for most of the services. There's slight differences on how it's handled administratively. But if you didn't have an approved exemption and you or an exemption in process and you refuse the vaccine, what they were doing was giving um, a written order from a superior. You have typically five days to get the vaccine. Um, And if you don't within that time period, then they initiate either disciplinary proceedings or um, they jump to separation. So again, slight differences in the way each service does it, but the pattern is your your exemption is denied, uh, whether it's a religious exemption or a medical exemption, it's denied, you're at the deadline, they'll give you a written order, you have five days to get it, and if you don't, then they're gonna take some form of disciplinary action and then proceed to separate you. Are there any estimates as to what proportion of military service people did not want to take the vaccine for any reason and how many were granted exemptions versus not getting granted exemptions? There's, there's a lot of different numbers. So the, the numbers are hard to track. I can tell you um, when this started before the pressure was amped up, there were well over um, 150,000 individuals that anticipated that notified the military that they were either going that they were going to seek some kind of an exemption or not get it. So, so well over 150,000. As of the last data I've seen from the Department of Defense, and there's some games played with the numbers at times, but it was today it still stands at between 30 and 50,000 military members that have already already been kicked out for not getting it or are still in, but are, are refusing um, the vaccine. So that's the total number, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 when we take into account uh, reserve component as well as active duty from all the services. Um, 
And that's a conservative number on, on the low end there. As far as those that have been kicked out, thousands have already been processed out. The majority of those that have been kicked out are those who are not entitled to the due process of an administrative separation board. So thousands um, have already been kicked out. Thousands more are waiting. Um, the Navy and the Air Force are moving faster on that front. Um, and then we're seeing more movement from the Marines and the Army will and the Coast Guard will be slower. But, are, but there's another way. Sorry, are many people being granted exemptions on based on their religious beliefs or health concerns? Um, some are getting granted um, exemptions based on their health concerns. Um, it has been rare um, and it is true for on the religious side, just to address that real quick, on the religious side, the only people that are getting granted accommodations on the religious side are those who already have an approved separation date. So even the Air Force is admitted publicly and the other services, it's really easy to see that the only people that have gotten, and it has been very few, I think it's less than 10 in the Air Force of the thousands and thousands that have applied, less than 10 have been given a religious accommodation. And those were people who are separating within a couple of months that already have an approved separation date or retirement date. The same is true with the other services. The handful, the four or five that may have been granted for religious reasons are I, I think a bit of political theater to show, hey, we've done this, but there are people that are already getting out. So to date, no one who desires to stay in, intends to stay in, and has either time left in their contract or their service commitment has been granted uh, a religious accommodation. On the medical front, it's, mm -hmm. it's, on the medical front is very similar. There are, are folks that have been granted exemptions, a few, most of them have been temporary if they've been granted. Um, and um, there's been a lot of problems with that as well as inconsistencies, but we have seen some medical exemptions, but you're talking um, dozens rather than out of the, the thousands and thousands that have applied for medical exemptions. That includes, and I can speak to this directly because I've interviewed them, um, and at least one is my client, that includes people who've received the first dose of a vaccine, been injured, um, and are still being ordered to receive a second dose. Um, despite that and are not being granted an exemption from an additional dose. What do you think in the big picture is driving this mandate that scientifically makes no sense to many scientists who I've talked to who are mystified by the notion that while they understand there's a reason for expecting compliance in the military and they have to take a lot of vaccines, you know, for, for good reason, um, they are experimented on sometimes when it comes to medical procedures and so on historically. But when we know this vaccine does, is not good at preventing infection or spread, and we know um, there is an alleged high rate of adverse events compared to many other vaccines, what would be driving the military to force people who could be hurt by the vaccine and are not hurt usually by COVID? What's forcing them to require people to get it? You know, that is a difficult thing to understand. Um, and part of it is just, it, it doesn't seem logical. My biggest concern, so, you know, I can speak for myself personally. I've served um, on active duty for, a for over a decade. I'm, I'm still a Lieutenant Colonel in the reserves, but as I represent my clients, that's a conversation that we have a lot. The biggest concern I saw immediately was just the inconsistency with the way this vaccine has been handled over other vaccines. So it's absolutely true. Throughout my career, I've gotten many vaccines. I've also gotten ex medical exemptions from certain vaccines. 
as have all of my clients. The primary one has always been natural immunity or positive serology. So if in the military, if you've had um, whatever they're vaccinating for, if you've had it, you have natural immunity to it, the DOD instructions, the regulations say, hey, you don't have to get it again. It's actually counterindicated. You need to be reviewed by a medical provider, but we'll give um, an exemption temporary or otherwise, even just, you know, maybe it's a six month extension on getting a vaccine because you've had it before. They're, they're not doing that with these vaccines. They're treating these differently, even though the studies that, that I am seeing, and, and it seems to be trending this way, is that natural immunity is at least as effective in most cases at preventing um, getting the disease and transmitting it to others as uh, vaccination itself. So what's driving it feels very highly political. Um, and that's the best answer that I can give. It's, it's coming from the highest levels of the Pentagon. It's not being driven by mid-level management in the military, if you will. Many commanders and, and many positions throughout that, that my clients are dealing with don't want to enforce it, don't agree with the enforcement of it, don't agree with the denials, but they feel like if they're going to keep their job and not get fired, um, they have to comply with what's coming down from the highest level. So this is absolutely top-down driven. It, it doesn't have um, much to do with military necessity or the military mission. The vast majority of my clients, particularly the ones that deploy repeatedly, Navy SEALs and others, fighter pilots, they, they had COVID early on during the pandemic. They're young, healthy um, folks. And, and, you know, they were sick for a couple of days and then they moved on. And I have others that, that hadn't missed us that had been exposed multiple times and were either never got it or were never symptomatic and were deploying all over the world, um, Afghanistan and otherwise during the pandemic, doing their job with, with no issues. Um, so other than political and this being top down driven, I, I, I wish I knew, but I, I can't explain why the military is doing this. Well, let me mention what I learned. Um, I had never covered vaccine issues in the military or vaccine issues in general until I was assigned as an investigative correspondent with CBS News to follow what was intended to be the reinstitution of smallpox vaccine in the military and the general population after 9-11 with fear of potential biological attacks from smallpox. And it seemed pretty routine until they had so many serious side effects from the vaccine. I didn't even know vaccines could cause these kind of side effects. I was, I guess like right. most Americans, well, what, how could a vaccine cause brain damage or autism or make people sick? I didn't understand the connection. But right. when the actual people that were advising the federal government and military, the actual medical experts said, this is too dangerous. We are seeing heart attacks and blood clots and all kinds of things. And they suspended smallpox vaccination program for both the military and civilians. That was sort of my beginning of the education into you know, what could happen with vaccination. And a lot of that opposition ultimately to the stories I ended up doing that spread beyond this particular smallpox vaccine issue, a lot of the opposition was driven by the pharmaceutical industry, which I learned was super entwined with federal government in so many ways. The agencies um, are conflicted by their interests with the pharmaceutical industry. Members of Congress, both parties are funded heavily by the pharmaceutical industry. So I would say when you say something is political and doesn't otherwise make sense, a little missing link of that is it's political because I assume the pharmaceutical interests are financially involved in convincing uh, our political figures to institute these policies. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, and I, I will say, you know, my clients, if we were to take a poll out, out of my 
out of my clients that are fighting this, most of them would, would, would look to one or two reasons. If you ask them to guess, they would look at one or one of two reasons. The first reason would be money that they, they can look, they can see publicly available information about even military leadership that's heavily invested in, you know, pharmaceutical companies or mutual funds that are heavily invested in the pharmaceutical in- industry. So it's not hard um, certainly not hard for you as an experienced investigative reporter to, to draw those lines. So absolutely, it feels like there's a financial piece behind this. The other piece my, my clients in particular would say is it, it feels like an opportunity um, to do a purge in the military uh, of two kinds of people. One kind of person is, is a Christian, quite frankly, um, someone of a, of a strong faith that's not necessarily consistent with a lot of things that the military is pushing these days. And the second is, is anyone that's willing to, to stand up um, in a leadership position and push back against um, dangerous things they see happening within the military. So if you ask my clients, those, those things are there. And a, a lot of my clients do see a connection between this and, and things like the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And, and what I mean by that is when this vaccination was rolled out, the way it continues to be enforced feels arbitrary. To my clients. It feels like these are arbitrary deadlines. They're not connected to science. They don't make sense. It's not connected to the mission, accomplishing the mission. In fact, we're losing a tremendous amount of highly, highly skilled, valuable people that are difficult to replace. A fighter pilot in the Navy takes seven years to train to be fully operational to deploy, and we're losing lots of those people over this. Um, just like we withdrew from Afghanistan because of a deadline. There wasn't a military reason to justify what occurred on the ground. And it seemed like there was an arbitrary date and, and that's where we're gonna pull out. So a lot of my clients just see a clear parallel to that. And anyone that's spoken out against the, these vaccine mandates or uh, criticized um, the administration or military leadership over our withdrawal from Afghanistan it, is done. There, there's no place for you in the military anymore if you ask those questions, right or wrong. And just to briefly touch upon the religious objection, because again, years ago, I thought this sounded crazy, like nutty conspiracy theory, but so many conspiracy theories have proven true. I've learned to listen to some of them before I judge them. Um, I believe the religious objections have to do with um, fetal cell lines being used to create the vaccines. Can you we don't have to go down a scientific rabbit hole, but is there just a sure. quick overview that you can describe? Yeah, so the the science is pretty clear with regard to the, the three vaccines that were pushed out. The Johnson & Johnson, the company that produced it, would admit that, that fetal cell-derived tissue is c- contained within the vaccine that's injected into the human body. That That's pretty easy. The Moderna and the Pfizer products were tested and developed um, and the mRNA technology was tested and developed using fetal cell lines. So those are cell lines that come from um, an aborted child, and they, they clone those cells, but each one of those cell lines has a shelf life, meaning you can only clone it so many times, you can only use it so many times where, before its utility is gone, right? The copy of the copy is, isn't as good anymore, and you have to start with a new fetal cell line. So when it comes to these vaccines, other medical products as well, but these vaccines in particular, there's a clear line to be drawn to, to an abortion um, and to the development of these products. So you know, many Christians, many other people of faith who are, are pro-life and to object to that understand now that, that partaking in these vaccines, purchasing these vaccines drives an industry that is using these fetal cell lines, which drives 
and a demand for more abortions. And the way they have to do these abortions to harvest these cells and keep them um, medically viable for cloning and all of that is, is pretty horrendous. And don't have to go into the details there. Um, but that is absolutely a significant part of the religious objection to this. Well, I wanted to work on a story just as an aside, hopefully for the coming months on my TV program, Full Measure, that addresses as part of the abortion debate, the industry of which you speak, whereby federal researchers, pharmaceutical industry, other researchers rely on abortion generated tissue for a lot of, you know, really important and money generating stuff. And this used to not be it's always been controversial, but it used to not be controversial to discuss as a debate. In fact, people, if they want to, can search online for Chris Wallace when he worked at ABC and the story he did on the selling of fetal tissue to places like this. You know, it's not supposed to be sold, but it was being sold according to this investigative report that ABC did. And the piece, the resulting story is not online anymore, but the press release that ABC issued, at least as of today, is still online. And you can read what they were investigating, what they discovered about this industry. And it's something that I think should be a topic of discussion as people talk about what's driving the abortion debate and what, you know, what's happening on both sides. There is a huge industry of people besides religious objections and people on both sides, you know, freedom objections. There are, um, there's a whole industry that's that relies on uh, the abortion industry that's part of this too. And I think that's worth knowing. Um, so let's go to your client, the, the, the one that we're here to talk about today, because this was a huge win. Can you just explain uh, the genesis of his case and the outcome, please? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Lieutenant Bill Mosley, he, he enlisted um, in the Navy as a sailor, um, right, uh, essentially right out of high school and uh, served, um, enlisted, uh, he enlisted around 2000, year 2000, served for 14 years to 2014 as an enlisted sailor, uh, very successful in everything that he did. And then he transitioned and earned uh, a commission to become a commissioned officer um, in the Navy, uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Um, and uh, the kind of guy that has a ribbon rack um, that, that folks in the Navy, folks in the military can look at when he walks in the room and go, okay, he, he's done, he's done the real deal. So multiple deployments, volunteered for multiple deployments, um, multiple times with embedded with SEAL teams and other things that he's done, highly successful in all respects, no issues, not a, not a scrap of bad paper in his entire career, um, up until this, this vaccine mandate rolled out. And so he is a man of faith. He is a Christian, very committed husband and father and was preparing his religious accommodation. Um, and as he was preparing his religious accommodation and putting that together, he started doing the research and he realized, hey, there is this, this is not a lawful order, um, primarily for two reasons. One, there is no FDA approved, actual FDA approved product available for the military. And so they, the military cannot require military members to take an experimental or emergency use authorization medical treatment cannot be done. There's two statutes that, that impact that, but, but that's the case. So he realized that. And um, he also realized and, and arguably given the potential for adverse effects, especially on young, healthy military age folks, um, that this wasn't reasonably necessary. So he looked at that, he researched that and he said, okay, 
as a Navy officer, I believe I am called to stand in the gap. I believe I am called um, because I have the education, I have the background, I have the ability to research this, to challenge the lawfulness of this order. I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. I'm an officer. There are a lot of people being affected by this, a lot of people being hurt by it, that don't have a voice, that aren't entitled to a board, that can't stand up to this. So he took a stand, drew a line, line in the sand, didn't submit a religious accommodation request, but just straight challenged the lawfulness of this order. He was disciplined for it. He was threatened over it. Um, they did everything they could. He would not back down. He would not, you know, wouldn't give in. And he exercised his right to an administrative separation board. And at that board in San Diego, um, three senior Navy officers, a captain and two commanders um, in the Navy reviewed all the facts, all of the evidence in his case and determined that he did not commit misconduct by refusing the vaccine. In other words, even though you know, he was given an order to take the vaccine, his refusal was not misconduct and they recommended um, that he be retained in the Navy and he will be. The way the Navy works, that recommendation is binding because it's favorable to him. Much more after a short break. In today's increasingly managed information landscape, independent journalism has never been more important. Support factual reporting without the censorship by visiting CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. Proceeds from sales go to causes related to independent reporting, including the new ION Awards I'm sponsoring to encourage accurate, off-narrative, original reporting. Also, check out my bestsellers on this topic, Stonewall, Slanted, and The Smear. And thanks for being part of the solution. So it was fascinating, a fascinating case because it's the, the first time in the Navy um, that a board was presented with the facts, actually looked at the federal statutes, actually looked at the information from the CDC, from the FDA, from the manufacturers themselves, from Pfizer and Moderna, and said, you know what? you're right, there is no vaccine available. And even if there was, there is absolutely no proof by the Navy that this is a reasonable, necessary action, that this is required military necessity. You know, the biggest thing I can equate it to people that aren't used to the military system is it's in some respects similar to a self-defense case, right? So in, in a self-defense case, you know, uh, someone's been shot or, or killed and the facts and circumstances of that case are presented to a jury, a jury looks at it and makes the determination that, that no crime occurred, right? No crime occurred, self-defense. In some respects, when you're challenging a lawful order in the military, and that's what your challenge is, it, it is in, in effect an affirmative defense, like self-defense, to say the order itself is not lawful um, and, and here's why. And so it is entirely possible that those, that information was not presented in a clear, coherent way to other boards. Um, it's possible that the, the, the other boards that have gone forward, they don't have the career, the background, the record of Lieutenant Mosley when it comes to um, finding him credible and believing him. Um, but the reality is in the political environment that we're in, in the military, it took three, quite frankly, brave Navy officers to actually do their job to ignore noise and actually focus on the facts, information, the law presented to them in that board and make a decision. And what was fascinating 
what what shocked me is the Navy freely admitted the Jags representing the Navy as functioning in a role of a prosecutor at their board. When they were asked point blank by this Navy captain, is there an FDA approved vaccine available? Just tell me that right in that tone. Just tell me because they're saying there's not. And they're like, well, the position of the, the United States Navy is that the EUA and the FDA approved are interchangeable. That's our position. Well, um, and they're shocked, right? Like they're shocked. They're like, that's, that's not what the statute says. It, is there a reason to think that this is then a precedent that others can benefit from? I don't know how it works in the military, but why does there have to be an individual trial for each person? Don't they rely on one another in terms of what somebody found? And therefore that we don't have to have a whole nother trial. This is a precedent. Well, part part of me hopes um, that it will set precedent and that the military will start to realize we're going to lose these boards, right? If 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 it's done properly, if it's presented properly, if we're actually going to follow the law, this will be the outcome. It isn't binding precedent, just like a you know a, a self defense case in in Minnesota might not be binding on a self defense case in in Michigan, um, but it does set precedent in that military folks are aware of it. That's why, you know, it's so important to get the message out of what happened to this board so that the military members sitting on these panels ask the right questions. And when they do, they will see Title 10, Title 21, make it clear military cannot be ordered to take an experimental medical treatment. We learned our lessons from anthrax and from other things that have happened to the military in the past. Congress finally acted. The law is very, very clear. And there's been a bit of a shell game that's been played with these particular vaccines. Um, and as it stands today, there's still no FDA approved vaccine available in the United States um, and certainly none available for the military. Can you explain what you call the shell game with the vaccine? Because um, I've seen a lot of people try to describe that in stories online and I don't think it's very clear. How would you say that in simple terms? So the, uh, we'll just, we'll keep it to um, the example I would use is, is Pfizer. Okay. So we'll just keep it to that vaccine. The same thing applies to the Moderna vaccine, but, but Pfizer produced a, a COVID-19 vaccine under the Pfizer label that has a specific formulation. Um, and that's what was authorized for emergency use. What they use, what they presented to the FDA is a different product, a legally distinct product with um, similar but some distinct differences in ingredients. And it is that product that they labeled Comirnaty. Okay, so, so they labeled that Comirnaty and they FDA approved production and FDA licensing of Comirnaty. But just because the FDA approved that formula does not mean that that FDA approved product was produced or ever will be produced. It's a, it's a different product. So this is what we have. This is what we've been using under emergency use. Now we're presenting to you, the FDA, a similar but distinctly different product. That's what the FDA has approved. And, and the pharmaceutical companies are not producing the new product. One practical reason why is because they have all of the old product sitting on the shelves ready to be shipped and they wanna be able to sell that and benefit from selling it before they produce something new. But, but that's how simple it is. Two products, one labeled Pfizer, one labeled Comanati, 
legally they are distinct um, and that is the difference and under federal law a military member cannot be forced to take an experimental product unless the president of the united states signs a very specific waiver and for whatever reason political or otherwise the president has not done that is there any way to understand is there any way to understand why pfizer is not just producing the one and only version why there are two versions um i i my research when i look at this leads me to two conclusions one is is money they have plenty of stock and i know uh, a couple of weeks ago i saw that moderna had had to destroy i think millions of doses of, of their vaccine right so the same version you know the same thing would apply to them is they have it out there they've already produced it they want to be able to sell it so um, that's that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is when a product is FDA licensed and then produced and sold under that FDA license, there are additional periodic testing, reporting, and reporting that has to be done related to that licensing. So there would be additional information, additional studies done on it. So to some extent, if if Pfizer or Moderna are aware of the risks and the concerns of these products, and they have not been straightforward about all of the risks for these products, which I think are, are fair statements to say, um, they wouldn't wanna produce an FDA licensed product because the, the, the restrictions and also the information they'd have to provide on it would be greater um, and it could reveal more problems rather than less. If Pfizer, let's just go down one road, let's say more military members were to win their cases on exemption. And if Pfizer could produce the other vaccine that is approved instead, and that might make financial sense for them to do so, if, um, if that's the case, then would that argument be taken care of? That, that argument would be taken care of and military members would have to turn to the question of, is this lawful order related to a military necessity. In other words, is it reasonably necessary to carry out the mission? Because that would be a defense. If it's not, then military members could fight it. And then that's when we would also turn to religious accommodations um, and the issues surrounding the blanket denial of those religious accommodations, which are a clear violation of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So there's still two, two aspects of this that I think the military would have to overcome. Um, and I think ultimately they're, they're going to lose these boards on, on both of those issues, just like I think there's a trend in federal court for them to lose on the blanket denial of religious accommodations. Do you have any other cases coming up? I do. Um, I'm representing between 50 and 60 um, military clients right now. Um, and it's just a question of timing, which ones come up. But I have many clients in a similar situation to Lieutenant Mosley that are either at the point of retirement, very close to retirement, and are willing to put their, their retirement, um, their pension on the line, their career on the line to fight this fight. Um, the next wave that we'll, we will see will be individuals who had their religious accommodation denied, um, and now they're being ordered to get the vaccine. So interesting. Thank you for updating us on that, and I hope to keep in touch so that we can keep our finger on the pulse because a lot of people are concerned about this. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it and share it with your friends. You can also check out my other podcast, 
full measure after hours. And I hope you consider supporting independent journalism causes. This has never been more important by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought provoking and fun products like beach towels that will really make a statement for you this summer. These have been designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.